So many reasons to be thankful. So many uh, things that God blesses us with every day. And we owe Him everything. And what would we be without Him? Glad that you're here. Uh, we are continuing our study through 2 Corinthians. We are in chapter 3 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Beginning at verse 1, Paul says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Obviously, Paul has felt the need at times to answer some of his critics in this letter, and he's there are some who somehow are questioning Paul's authority and Paul is essentially saying, look, the revelation that I received is from God. And it does, as these Judaizing teachers evidently who cared about these recommending letters to a, a reputation of some sort, Paul is saying, look, we should be beyond that by now. You should know me by now and know that I'm not trying to please you with my words. It's not that I received this in order to please you. This revelation came from God whether they see it or not. And, and actually he's pointing to their very lives that were changed. And he's saying, look, look at what the Lord has done through you. That alone should show you uh, where this came from. The power of the gospel to change their lives. You know, the point of the written Word of God is not just to be written on a page. It's not just... And, and he's using this as an analogy. He's about to describe the contrast between the Old Testament and the New Testament with this somewhat of, of analogy and, and, and contrast to deal with their skepticism of Him. But notice, as we go through this, what, what I might invite you to do later, go home and as, as you look through the rest of this section, take you a, a, a colored pencil and anything that describes the New Testament, put that in one color and anything that's describing the Old Testament, put that in a different color. So that way, what, what you then can see is the contrast and how this is described against this. I don't know if you can see, but I've actually done that in my own Bible where the Old Testament is, is one color and, a, and the New Testament is another. If you'd like to see how I've done that later, you're welcome to, to look at it a little closer. But notice verse 6. After saying, look, our sufficiency is not of ourselves. Whatever we are, Paul's saying, it's not me. It's God that's given this revelation. And it's because we, are a, we have a better testament. We have a new testament. And, and notice how he describes it in verse 6. 
who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. You've got to understand that he's describing the Old Testament. His, his descriptive phrase is the letter. That's referring to the Old Testament. And he's referring to the New Testament as the contrast. So verse 7, but the, if the ministration of death, what would that be? That's the Old Testament. Written and engraven in stones. Well, that was the testament that... Moses received up on Mount Sinai. He Remember, he wrote it on tablets of stone. God wrote it with his finger. And so it was given to him. But he says, It was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Thankful for the verse that was read earlier, because it helps us see the event that he's referring to. Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and the law. While he was up there, somehow God allowed Moses to, to see some portion of God. He talks about him hiding him in the cleft of the rock, covering his eyes, and then passing before him and allowing him to see the back of God. I don't know that I understand what all is being said there, what that would have looked like. All, all I know, I can go by what is said. But it, the scriptures do say whenever Moses came down from the mountain, that the reflection of whatever he saw made his face shine. And obviously it was so bright that the children of Israel wanted him to cover up his face. That shows you... How glorious must God be, first off, that we're not all allowed to see this. This was a special, unique circumstance allowed to Moses, but not to everyone. But they're just the reflection was so bright that it had to be veiled. And Paul is making a point here that the Old Testament even then had this covering there were veils there were barriers between men and God as good as the Old Testament was as glorious as it was it is fading away in comparison to the glory of the new covenant that we now have and so notice how he's contrasting this verse 8 how shall not the ministration of the spirit be rather glorious First off, recognize he's not diminishing the glory of the Old Testament. He's not saying that the Old Testament was bad. The Old Testament was a good testament. And the fault was not with that testament. The fault was with the people. That's where the fault was. But it says that this new covenant is more glorious... In verse 9, for if the ministration of condemnation, that's the Old Testament, be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious, that's the Old Testament, had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. So the Old Testament was glorious, but the New Testament excels in glory. Verse 11, for if that which was done away, well, what was done away? The Old Testament. 
There are some people who think we're still under the Old Testament. Or they think somehow that it was all one covenant that we're still under all of it. That's not true. We read the Old Testament to learn. And that's why we, how through patience and comfort of the Scriptures we can have hope and through, through that learning of it. And we see the fulfillment in the New Testament. It helps us to understand. But we don't read the Old Testament in order to obey it. We're under a new and better covenant. That old covenant was done away. And so he says, in verse 11, For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Well, what remains? What lasts? The new covenant. Verse 12, Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished. Well, what was abolished? The old covenant. That means it was done away. We're no longer under it. Verse 14, For their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away. In the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ? When some read the Old Testament as if, like, like those Jews of, of that day, who are still trying to keep it and be justified by it, they're still blinded they're, they're still a barrier but whenever you allow and open your eyes to see what Jesus has revealed in the new covenant that mystery is no longer a mystery it's been uncovered it's revealed and so he says in verse 15 but even unto this day when Moses is read now he's describing the law that Moses gave through the Old Testament when it's read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. The Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. See, Moses, when he came down off the mountain, had to cover his face. But today, as we're reading the New Testament, it's like we're seeing it face to face. Not with the barrier or that veil. More about that veil on the heart when we get into chapter 4. But notice, let me just summarize some of these contrasts. The Old Testament was referred to as the letter. The New Testament as the Spirit. Now, let me clarify too. Sometimes people, when they're reading this, people will make a distinction and say that you should follow the, the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. I don't think that's what he's making, in, at least in this context. I think he's when he says the letter, I think that is a description of the Old Testament itself. And the Spirit is a description of the New Testament. Paul does this kind of thing in Galatians 3 when he talks about the law versus faith. Well, there were people who had faith in the Old Testament. The old law required faith. The just shall live by his faith was written in the Old Testament. But why is he referring to the New Testament as faith? Well, that's just a description of the, of the contrast. Kind of similar in John 1, the law came through Moses, 
but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He's not saying there wasn't grace in the Old Testament or there wasn't truth in the Old Testament, but it's a contrast. The old was a law. It's not saying the new's not a law because Galatians 6.1, he calls it the law of Christ. But it's, again, it's a contrast. He's accentuating the features of each testament. But when he refers to the letter, he's talking about the law itself. Now, he's not, he's not, when he says the letter kills, sometimes people, when they get this idea of the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, they think it means that the written word of God destroys or kills. That's not his point. He's saying the Old Testament brings about condemnation and death because it's the knowledge of sin that it exposes. And, that, and he uses that term. To give you an example in Romans 3 in verse 20. Romans 3 verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law, and here the law means the law of Moses, not just all law, but by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law of Moses was a temporary law at, given as a schoolmaster, Galatians 3 says, because of transgression. It was to expose the sin. It made knowledge of sin when it, it said, don't do this or do this, and then they couldn't keep it, it exposed their failure and their separation of God and their need for God. So that's how the law is said to be a letter of condemnation or administration of death. It's because that's what it did. It's not saying that all of the revelation of God in general kills. Rem let me remind you that, that the law, every word of God is perfect. Every part of God's revelation, when God speaks, it's all important. Jesus said and quoted from Deuteronomy 8, whenever he was tempted in the wilderness, he told Satan that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When God speaks, whether it's from heaven or whether it was in a vision of the past, or whether it was written on, with his finger on, on tablets, or whether today when he, when he writes it on our heart, every time God speaks, it is his words. And all his words are inspired, 2 Timothy 3, 16, old and new. Every word of God is pure. Every word of God is perfect. It's all righteousness. It's all to be respected and revered and to be read. The parts that we keep today as our commandments are, are written under the New Testament. But we need to recognize that the whole Word of God was, has always been good. And His words have always been for our good. Always. What He's saying when the letter kills, He's not saying that the law of Moses was bad. And He's certainly not saying that the, the words of God bring death. No, we need to heed the words of God. When people 
died many times because they did not listen to God. And Hebrews makes the point that if those in the Old Testament received a just recompense and reward when they transgressed the commandment even then, how much more, how shall we escape if we're given a better covenant and we uh, turn away from the words given to us by Christ? So don't get caught away in this idea that you don't get too much of the Word of God. There's a, there's, a, there's a misconception among people today who think you shouldn't follow God's Word too closely. And they'll make some kinds of these twistings of God's Word. I don't think that he's diminishing the words of God at all, ever. What he's showing is the contrast of the nature of what the old law was designed to do and how Jesus fulfilled the need of, of our failures to keep that old law. So I don't think he's talking about the difference between the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law in this context. I think he's calling the Old Testament the letter and he's calling the New Testament the spirit. If you question that any further, try to do the exercise that I'm, I'm telling you to do. And then if you'd like to discuss that further, or even if you disagree, you're welcome to talk to me about that later. But the reason the Old Testament is referred to, you can see similar descriptions in Galatians chapter 5. He calls it a yoke of bondage. The old law was a yoke of bondage in a sense that they couldn't keep it. It was hard to obey. There was, there was a lot of nuances of the law that they found tedious. And, but the new law has freed us from that, and so it's mentioned as a law of liberty. And actually in, in James he calls it a perfect law of liberty. So again, it is a law. But it frees us from that hard Old Testament uh, system. But the failure again was because people didn't obey it. When they didn't obey it, it brought about the knowledge and, and exposing of their failure to it. And notice again the contrast how... It had a glory, but the new covenant is more glorious. The old law gives kills, but the new gives life. The old is a ministration of condemnation. The new uh, is a ministration of righteousness. You can see the similar contrast. Look at Romans 8. Paul, Paul talks similarly in, in Romans 8 in verse 1. After talking about the law, and I believe the law that he's referring to there is the old covenant because he mentions the law taught him thou shalt not covenant, covet. Well, which law said that? The old law, the Old Testament, the part of the Ten Commandments, one of those was thou shalt not covet. That was in the law of Moses. So that's why I believe that that's how he's refused, uh, referring to the word law. Some people think all law is bad. I, I, I don't think that's the way he's using it. 
But in, in, he's referring to the law of Moses contrasted with the covenant of Christ. In, in Romans 8, verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Notice they're both, both referred to as laws. But one's referred to and described as a spirit, as the spirit of life, and the other is referred to as the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, I think he's saying the law of Moses. What it could not do, that in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Sometimes there are those who think that because the old law has been done away and when you, they hear you saying that, they think that means you don't have to obey God they'll hear things like well you, you mean we're not under the old law well does that mean we can kill and commit adultery and we can lie and, and, and have graven images and they jump to that conclusion well understand that if in the new covenant first off those commandments are also given in the new covenant but also, if you recognize that it's given, it's referred to as a spirit, and it gives us a reason for our hope and, and, and how to live, and you appreciate that, you have a much stronger motivation to live for God and not after the physical and after the flesh. So if you appreciate the sacrifice of Christ under the new covenant, you're not going to want to walk and do what your flesh wants to do that you know is wrong before God. And, and so no, there, there should not be uh, a, a fulfilling of what your body wants to do even though you've freed from the law of Moses. And so uh, you see some of that uh, terminology and description. Going back to 2 Corinthians 3, when he says that Moses's face was ve Moses's face was veiled, uh, but now we're like open face. R compare that to what he said in Romans one, in verse sixteen and seventeen. Remember that the old covenant was given to the Jews till Jesus would come, but. In Romans 1, we see that the new covenant is revealed for all people, Jews and Greeks. And, and notice in verse 15, for Romans 1 15. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in, at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So it's fully revealed, not like 
Moses, who it was given in part fashion, and even there was a barrier in this veil over his face as he, as he gave a portion at a time. Hebrews 1 makes a, a, a similar contrast when he says, in the past God has spoken through the prophets through many ways, but today he speaks through his Son. Well, think about this. In the past God would send and give portions of his will through a vision or through a dream or through an interpretation of a dream or through prophets or messengers in a certain way. But God came himself in the flesh, spoke and walked among, uh, among us, taught his word, spoke with his own mouth and gave his message plainly, face to face. And now it's being written down for you and I to see, fully revealed and things that in the Old Testament that they didn't fully understand how that all fit together. But when you look at how it's revealed in the New Covenant, you see the unfolding of God's plan more clearly. And I think that contrast between the Old and the New is being made in 2 Corinthians 3. But now, also he mentions it as a, a, a thing of liberty. Look at Acts 15. And go back here, whenever there was a discussion in the book of Acts that there were these Judaizing teachers who wanted to bind portions of the law of Moses, mainly the hot topic of the day was circumcision. Doesn't each generation have certain hot topics of their day? But their time, it was circumcision. And there were some who were saying, you've got to be circumcised because the law of Moses commanded that. And unless you're circumcised, you're not going to be saved. Well, they, they're discussing this, and notice in Acts 15, they determine in verse 10, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? What's his point? He's saying, why would we want to make the Gentiles, who are, who've never been subject to the law of Moses, now that we've... We, Everyone's been freed from that. Why would we want to put that upon them and require of them this when it's not commanded through God under the New Testament? And he makes that point that we gave no such commandment. If God hasn't commanded it in the New Testament, it's not required. So why make it any harder? Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. It may be a yoke. He does require some things. But it's not an impossible yoke. It's not too heavy. It's not, a, it's not an overly burdensome yoke. But this new covenant is mentioned as uh, one that gives us liberty and hope. The old covenant in some ways is contrasted with that because you had to, you had to keep having sacrifices for the sins. And so in some ways, it's contrasted with this new covenant as a covenant of hope that we have. We can draw near to God. They couldn't draw near to God like we can today. In the old covenant, only those of a certain tribe and those after steps are made and, and there were strict details about how that was to be followed could enter into the holy place and then only one after strict details and 
things were followed could enter into the most holy which was said to represent the very presence of God. But if you remember on the day Jesus was crucified that the veil of that temple, that barrier between men and God and even between some who were able to go into a, a part of that area but not the other, that barrier was taken away. Jesus, it, it was torn from top to bottom. And Jesus took his blood into the very presence of God himself and which gives us hope that we can now come confidently into the throne of, and presence of God. We have access to God through the blood of Christ. And we don't have to continually make more animal sacrifices. No more sacrifices are needed. We, we really try to understand the, the mindset of God, why he gave that Old Testament system to begin with, to show us the cost, to show us the barriers that sin caused between man and God, but Jesus has taken away that barrier because he loves us. Such a high cost that Jesus paid. And Paul is pointing out to us to see the, these riches and the treasures that we have in this new covenant and what, a, what motivation do we have to live before God even though we have liberty that does not mean that we should continue in sin that grace may abound it doesn't mean we live however we want to live it means we, are, we have a stronger reason to live for God and we have a stronger reason to want to ultimately see Him we want to glorify him. If, if he has, is as glorious as this is describing and what he has done for us, why would we not want to give him our all? Now, how somebody can read this section and come away and think we're still under the Old Testament or pick and choose. There are some people who want to say, well, this part in the Old Testament we've got to keep, but not this part. I don't know how you can do that after reading these con contrasts. Galatians 5 makes it clear that if you try to be justified by one portion of the law, you got to be consistent, you've got to keep it all. And no one has ever been able to do that. But Christ has freed us from that. What was the point of his sacrifice if the Old Testament accomplished that? But he has accomplished that in the New Covenant. And that's not to nullify the old covenant at all as far as Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. And what that means is he did accomplish what he set out to do. It, may, it doesn't mean we're still under the old covenant to, to obey it. It means no, there's nothing else left to pay because it has been fulfilled. And if we recognize that, we should appreciate that. And we should certainly recognize, as Paul is telling these Corinthians, that what Paul is revealing to them under this new covenant, if it's this glorious, then they need to accept it as the word of God, not because it's from Paul. And so he doesn't need these uh, statements from men to, to verify whether that's true or not. You can verify it based upon the basis of what it is already. Well, I've tried to explain a, a, a somewhat technical passage, but I hope that uh, 
in that language it hasn't been lost that I hope, that, hope you can see the glory that God has given us under the new covenant and appreciate that again I invite you to do that exercise and, and, and show those contrasts and, and, and then talk to me further if you have more questions why not see what the Lord has done under the new covenant in making that sacrifice for you why not apply his blood to you recognize that Jesus is our Passover and apply his blood to your house so you can escape the destruction of your soul that that old law exposed but the new law has made it abundantly available to, sh to show us the pardon of Christ to remove your sin ultimately and from now on why not come to him believing with all your heart and repent and confess, I believe Jesus is the Son of God and be baptized. And if you've done that already, don't trample underfoot the Son of God. Don't, after you know that you've been washed, don't go back wallowing in the mire like a pig. Pigs do that. But you're not a pig. Live for him. See that you have a purpose in Him and, and, and live accordingly with that hope in view. That be an anchor to your soul to think and live knowing that you can taste heaven and one day we'll get to be with Him forever. Don't let anything take that away from you. Whatever you need to do in correction, won't you come while we stand as we sing?